Welcome to AM Best Audio. Use of AI has proliferated across most industries and insurance is no exception. While AI technology continues to evolve and grow, AI tools hold great promise for the insurance industry and are now being used in many facets of the sector, including claims processing, customer service, underwriting, and fraud detection. I'm Lori Chortis for AMBEST TV. What does the future hold for AI's use in insurance and where do regulators fit into the equation? Joining us now to discuss that is North Dakota Insurance Commissioner John Godfrey. Commissioner, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. And uh, this is certainly something I always enjoy talking about, uh, artificial intelligence and technology. It's, it's what's making the insurance industry really, really interesting right now. Absolutely. So, Commissioner, how is AI being used in insurance today? And in what specific areas or functions is AI already creating opportunities and value for the industry? Sure. So I think that's the, you know, the multi probably billion dollar question really at, at this point is how deep is this being used and, and where, where exactly is this being deployed? I can tell you from my experience and from what we've seen, it's, it's right now, it's a lot of internal pieces. So they're, they're, they're improving, the companies are improving their internal processes. So maybe using, using light AI to do different processing of, of, of whatever, whatever you think of, right? Internal. Um, and we're starting to see it kind of deploy externally too. So whether it's in the claims processing, whether it's in con uh, consumer assistance or customer assistance and kind of the chat body stuff, kind of some of those pieces are all, that's all kind of considered AI. And I think when you get to the definition of AI, that's also a tough thing to get around. What, what necessarily is that? I mean, depending on how broad and how narrow you want it to be, uh, your calculator could be AI if you really wanted it to be. I mean, and so it, it's a tough thing to really quantify right now. And we've done a lot of work at the NAIC to try to, do some surveys and kind of better understand where the industry is using uh, these these processes at this point. Um, I will tell you, it's it's probably not as far as as I thought it would have been at, at this point, um, but it's also changing at an exponential rate. I mean, we've seen the deployment of the Chat GPT stuff, which is now probably old news with all the other uh, AI bots that are out there, and, and and so this is something that's going to evolve over a very rapid pace, and it's something that we've been heavily involved in on from the from the front. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity within the insurance industry for AI to, to be deployed. Underwriting risk you mentioned, uh, claims processing is certainly one area where I think this is, that'll be a, a heavy use in it for those, those kind of those clean, easy claims would make some sense to have this process so we can get that money in the hands of the consumer faster, which is a benefit to the consumer. Um, same with fraud detection. Uh, looking at these algorithms, and I know we're, we're looking at that on the healthcare sector, uh, being able to use these algorithms to not necessarily make determinations of fraud, but flag things for human review effectively. And I think that's really where we're at on the stage of the artificial intelligence usage in the industry is it's not fully independent. It's not, you know, it's not without some other oversight or over check and balance. And what it is, it's hopefully what it's doing is helping the humans process the vast amount of data that we got to look at in, in the insurance industry and be able to flag certain areas where we can, we can hone our detection, right? We can hone our looking at and say, okay, there's a problem in this area. Let's go take a look at, let's, let's deploy a team there to look at what's happening in that underwriting space, what's happening in this claims processing space, or, or frankly, with the fraud piece as well. So there's a lot of opportunity. Um, this is going to continue to evolve. And, and you know, I, I served as the chair of the Innovation Technology Task Force for the NEIC uh, the last, well, it was five for the first five years of my tenure here at the, with the, with the uh, insurance department, um, and from that point to where we are now, 
it's it's night and day, right? I mean, we were we were at the beginning of just trying to figure out what is AI, is it being used, and now we're talking about again the deployment of it and and what's the responsible use of it, and and how do we best over what's the best governance structure for these type of, of tools? And again, I, I gotta you know before we get to the next question, I think the biggest piece is there's a lot of discussion, a lot of concern about the use of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and in, in any industry, whether it's insurance, banking, any of the financial sectors, really anything. Um, but at the end of the day, artificial intelligence is really just another tool. Um, you know, we've been through these re these evolutions before as an industry. Um, you know, you went through the computer revolution. I'm, you know, when we had the, when all of a sudden we could use Excel spreadsheets and could stop using hand ledgers. You know, there's there we have experience in this piece, and this is really just another tool that we'll be able to use. And we've got the structure, I believe, within the insurance uh, regulatory framework to adapt to another tool. And so it's, you know, it's taking me, it's taken me a number of years to get to the point where, um, you know, I, I, maybe we don't need a wholesale new change of new, new model laws, new model regulations or, or things in that space that we can fit this underneath our existing framework of the unfair trade practices act of the other, of the other insurance regulation that we already have on the books. It's just, this is a new way to apply the service, the same service that we've applied for well over 150 years in this industry. You mentioned concerns. What potential challenges or risks does AI pose, and what can those in the industry do to alleviate or mitigate those challenges? Well, I think the, the primary challenge that we're talking about is the potential for bias uh, and, and the perceived bias that, that, that could exist. Now, again, these are tools that are developed by humans. Humans, by their very nature, have our, we all have our own biases. We all have our own issues and, and kind of, you know, our, our our viewpoint on the world is developed by our, our past and our history and all those different things. And, and we bring an inherent bias to everything that we do necessarily. And, and it's really interesting in the insurance industry, we're all about, you know, insurance is about at the fundamental core, it's discrimination, but it's not unfair discrimination, right? And so it's a really kind of unique thread that we've got a, we've got a thread or needle, we've got a thread with this industry. And how do we make decisions? How do we write risks? How do you make judgments on, on what, what risks you're willing to take as an industry and what you're not? And you've got to be able to have that risk profile and be able to look at and analyze these things. So I, I think the biggest problem right now or the biggest concern is, is the, the threat of bias and the threat of, um, you know, an unfair algorithm leading to impacts, negative impacts on, on, on either wholesale communities or wholesale books of business. And, and that's a real perceive, that's a real issue that we're, we're trying to root out. And I think it's, it's going to take time to develop a, probably a good process to look at that. But the biggest thing that we can do right now is have a good governance structure on how do we deploy these tools. So if an, if a company is going to use an artificial intelligence tool or machine learning tool, uh, understanding what, what the expected outcome is, is, is important. Understanding where you're deploying it and how you're using it and what, what potential for risks there are. And also being able to continue to audit that and, and look at that and say, okay, is this becoming, is this giving us what we expected? You know, is there is there anything that's an outlier that we need to look at? Uh, so it's that governance structure that's really really important. But I, again, I think at the end of the day, the goal with all this is is to eventually have, um, you know, the, the goal of machine learning and these tools is to get to a truly unbiased viewpoint, right? I mean, if we can if we can remove the human from those dis those discussions, you you have the opportunity or the potential to remove that bias that's through machine learning process. And so that, again, it goes back to the, the fundamental algorithm, the fundamental piece that it has built, that was built by the human. You've got to be able to weed that bias out. And how do we do that? That's for people smarter than me to figure out. Um, but I think that's, that's the ultimate goal. Uh, the, the other piece of this is that, you know, if you have a bad underwriter, if you have a bad, somebody in your claims processing division, 
making bad decisions. That's one person affecting, you know, it, it affect a, a pie, a piece of the pie of your business, but it's not going to affect your whole book of business. Whereas if you deploy an AI tool like this, the, the, the potential for impact is so much greater because it's a quicker tool. It's a faster tool. You're able to, again, deploy that in, in large scales. Um, and, and that has a chance to really impact that whole book of business. And so it's, it's the scale of it. I think that's also concerning um, and, and making sure that we know what we're getting into before we go down this road. But it's also the, the potential for bias and the potential for discrimination, which is, a, again, a very high level focus for regulators across the country as we look at what does this, what does this mean? And then I think you can also dig into, you know, where does AI relies on data? So where is that data coming from? And do our consumers understand that, uh, you know, there, there is potential for third-party data vendors and insurance companies that are taking data that you may or may not know they have about you or, or even, even really realize that they have about you and using that into making determinations based on, you know, that data running it through an algorithm. And so there's some privacy concerns there. And I think that's, that's probably getting some more national attention at this point because it's an easier thing to, I think, solve. It's an easier thing to discuss is, well, how do we want to handle the privacy concerns? How do we want to look at data privacy as a country, as a, as a state, as a, as a industry? And so I think you're going to see a significant amount of work over the next year, 18 months on, on what is a potential, a, an NAIC data privacy model law look like or a model regulation? What does a national data privacy look like uh, coming out of Congress, which um, I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll go back and say, I've got some concerns about the, our congressional folks, our congressional friends passing a data privacy law because it seems it's the only piece that everybody can agree on in, in Washington, D.C. is that we need to do something on data privacy. So whether you're on the left or on the right, you have different reasons for wanting this, but you, you agree that there's some data privacy issues. And so uh, we, we certainly understand, too, that Congress is probably in desperate need of a win. And so they're, they're desperately looking to do something, uh, you know, maybe ahead of the next election. Uh, and, and what does that mean? And, and there's some some significant calls for, you know, big tech regulation and, and, and how do we handle the Facebooks and the Googles and the Amazons of the world? And, and that will could potentially all spill over into the broader data privacy discussion. And so it's important to for us to continue to have that conversation as an insurance industry, because we have to be able to have that conversation at the congressional level as well, saying, we've done this analysis, we've looked at what it means for the insurance industry, and here is either our model part to put into the, your federal law if you want, or here's, here's a reason why to exempt us out because we are a state-based system, we're state-led, uh, and, and we've, we've, we've attacked this problem from that standpoint. So when we look at these data privacy, either rules or regulations or laws, you know, I, I hope the industry is coming to it with a, with a standpoint of our consumers are asking for it, our consumers are looking for it, and they're, that, that, that that noise will continue to grow. And also Congress is looking at it. So there's pressure from all, all sides to look at this. And again, left to their own devices, it's not always, we don't always get the best solutions out of Washington DC, especially when it comes to the insurance industry, because it is a highly regulated, highly complex industry. So having the regulators in the industry working together as an industry and as a regulated body, um, it, it, that seems to help inform the decisions, hopefully either at the state level or at the congressional level. So I'd say those are probably the biggest uh, kind of concerns we got right now, and they're 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 massive. I mean, admittedly, they're massive. You got the uh, the privacy concerns, which we haven't solved yet, and then also the the potential for discrimination bias, which is um, certainly a top level concern, uh, and and something that we've got to be able to get our handle on. And I think the way we're going to address that is looking at governance and making sure that everybody, not everybody within the company, but the leadership within those companies that are deploying these tools 
have the known outcomes that they expect, understand what's going on and, and understand how to use it and, and what that means for, for not only their book of business, but for the rest of the industry. There's been talk about insurers setting rates based on individuals' high-risk behaviors gleaned from their social media via AI. What are your views on that practice? Well, I mean, I'm a little bit split on it, right? Because there, there is some responsibility on the consumers to be truthful with their, you know, their with their risk appetite, effectively. So, the the easiest example is if if I want to go get a life insurance policy and I'm in a high risk industry, if I'm a, a deep sea diver, or if I if I often go skydiving, or if I do a number of myriad uh, different dangerous activities. And I tell my insurance company that, no, you know what, I'm a, you know, I'm an accountant. I sit at a desk all day and I, I'm a pretty healthy guy and, and everything's normal over here. And they're able to go see me on, 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 again, on Facebook or whatever. And I'm jumping out of planes. I'm, you know, doing, doing whatever dangerous activity you want to think of. You know, I, I think there is some, there is some reasonability to have the insurance industry look at that and say, Hey, this isn't the true risk that we were presented with. And now we've got to, we've got to be able to uh, account for that. And, and there's got to be some reasonable expectation of honesty in between these, these contracts. Right. And so, so that's the, the forefront. I think the, probably the leading edges, the, the leading discussion is probably more on those privacy concerns. Right. And, and, and I don't think, I think as long as our consumers understand what data is being used in their analysis or how they're, how they're potentially being uh, rated or looked at, I think that that could be fair game, but at this point, I don't think they're there yet. And so the, it comes down to disclosing what information is being used, how you're getting it. And, and that's a real push and pull with the industry right now and having that discussion of what should be disclosed, uh, what data is acceptable, what's not acceptable. And also, frankly, a lot of these companies are using a third party vendor to pull that data, a data analytics vendor. And so the companies may not know where that data is coming from, which is another dangerous piece, I think in my mind is, if you don't know where it's coming from, there's potential there for either bad data sets or, or potential issues that come down the road. And, and, and again, I think the best thing we can do is having those honest disclosure with our consumers so they know what they're getting into and, and they know what to expect. Right. How does this compare to the debate that we saw several years ago with credit scoring? You know, th there is some, I think, similarities to that. Um, I, I think there's some similarities on, on what, what, you know, how this credit scoring evolved. And I, I think it's, it's a little different in terms of the complexity of it. Um, credit scoring is, is a pretty well, a well-known tool. I think you get, you can get into the discussion of the accuracy of it or, or some of the other issues that may be behind it, but it's a pretty well settled tool at this point. I, you know, I think the credit score is a credit score is a credit score. We've got, you know, three main, main providers. Um, there's an ability for the consumer to go in and challenge those. I, mean, I can, you know, I can get my credit report once a year They're for free, at least once a year. Uh, so you've got all these different avenues of looking at and making those determinations. If I, if something's wrong on my credit credit report, I'm able to make that change. I'm able to go do that. We don't have, that doesn't exist yet for say social media or say, you know, other data sources where we're coming. So I, I think there's, there's some similarities there and, and it's a new tool. It's a new data source similar what when credit score was and so there's going to be some uncomfortability to it but i think the thing that we had the different difference with credit scoring at that time was it was a little bit more settled and a little bit more easier to understand and we're able to i'm able to back out the calculation of kind of how it gets to the credit score a little bit it's a little bit more intuitive and some of these pieces are going to there's going to be a lot more subjectivity to it there's gonna be a lot more um I, it's gonna it's gonna be inherently more complex <clears throat> So that makes it that makes it challenging, 
But on the flip side, you know, I think some of the discussion I think we're going to be having as an industry going forward is, you know, credit scoring is is a is somewhat of a controversial topic. My state still allows for the use of credit scoring. There's there are a number of states who don't and are still looking at that. And I guess as we get to these new tools that are coming into the scene, it's going to make us analyze: Are those old tools reliable enough, or, or do they still make sense to have that? And now that's going to be a challenging discussion within the industry because credit scoring at this point is it's an easy tool to use. It's a it's a it's a relatively inexpensive tool that we can you can pull. Uh, there is, you know, a correlation between uh, the risks and credit scores, and that's been proven over time. Now the causation is probably the question that, that we often have of does a poor credit score really end up causing the risk or is it just a correlating risk? And, and that's a causation correlation question or discussion that we can have that I certainly enjoy. But I, I think we're going to look at, um, as we deploy these new tools and what that means, we're gonna have to look at our old tools that we've been using and, and maybe remove some of those more controversial pieces in favor of hopefully a more accurate tool. We're not, the AI, the AI scraping and data scraping isn't there yet, but eventually it'll get to the point where I think it'll be a more accurate source for true risk rating than say your credit score. We just talked about the practice of uh, looking at high risk behaviors using social media and AI. Are there other types of practices that are being used or could be used with the assistance of AI? Well, I mean, I mean there, there's a there's a ton of different places you can use this stuff. And I think we touched on a, on a little bit of earlier with you know, that claims processing is, is one that I, I'm really excited about. Because again, I think the, and you're seeing it even in the auto industry a little bit, I think there's there's a less less touch between human hands of having the, to process these claims. And again, when you look at a clean healthcare claim or a clean auto claim, or even a clean homeowner's claim, the sooner we can turn that dollar around and get those those funds back to the consumer, the sooner they can get their life back together and get their, their car fixed, get their health back up, or get their home fixed. What you know, and, and that's all good things for the consumer. Um, and so I, I think improving those the speed of those processes is going to be really, really important and really, really opportune for the consumer and, and a good thing for the industry. But I think one other piece too is is, is what is this going to do to the sale of insurance and what does it mean to um, to, to the traditional agent relationship? And so with all these, there's going to be a number of consumer tools out there too that are going to be able to do shopping and going to be able to look at it and say. Hey, John, I'm going to be able to type in my financial information into probably a service and say, here's, here's what my picture looks like. What risks do I need to cover? And, and, and what should, what does a reasonable, um, you know, coverage look like? And oh, by the way, here are some options for you. And, you know, that, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable at this point, because again, um, we find when you have a good licensed agent that you're working with and you're working with a, with a, with a good known agency and an agent, um, you know, they're able to handle those nuances within each each consumer probably a little bit better than say a, an algorithm or or a, just typing it into Google and, and finding your auto auto coverage there. But I do think we're going to lead to a point where hopefully these con consumers are more engaged with their products because they may have more opportunity to look at these pieces and, and be able to run some analysis through these tools to determine what my risk profile may look like, what I want, what are my, where are my coverage gaps and what do I want to do. And so I think it's going to be on both sides of the coin uh, that, that we're going to have some pretty meaningful changes on how that consumer interaction is with the company versus and also how the company interacts with the consumer. And I think we're at a unique tipping point right now where, uh, you know, I, I'm probably in the middle somewhere, but my parents are still very much. They'll go down to the bank, cash their check, have that personal interaction right with the with the teller. 
Um, I, I don't mind it, but I know my kids probably won't want to have any interaction with, with, with that. They want to be able to do it from their phone, do it now, uh, and, 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 you know, go about my day. And I think the insurance industry is going to have to adapt to that. I think they are. And I think we're, we're getting there. You've got, you know, everybody's got an app. Everybody's got an ability to, to file an auto claim online or do it through photos. Um, and so it's, it's, that's a unique change where you still got to have that personal touch of a personal agent of having that, that relationship. Um, but I think there's also a moving, a growing generation that is going to put some pressure on that existing system. And so how do we change that? How do we, how do we deploy these tools that not only that we can give into the consumer hands, but also in the agent hands too. I mean, having these tools at the agent's availability to be able to sit and cross and talk with me about what my risk profile looks like based on these tools, one, it gives that human touch, but also it'll inform the agents to probably make better decisions and better recommendations to our consumers. So I may be a little bit Pollyannish in the view. I, I'm, I'm excited about these technological changes. I'm, I'm looking forward to it um, because I think there's a lot, I think the upside is significantly greater than the downside. Uh, that's not to minimize the downside risk, but to me, all the downside risk problems, they're solvable. They may not be solved today, but we're able to, we're going to be able to solve those problems and then get to the pure, the pure benefits that would be faster claims handling, more accurate risk writing, hopefully better coverages for our consumers that, that cover their gaps and what they need. And frankly, being able to reach out to those communities who maybe have been underserved in the past to give them good options on what financial protection looks like. And so like I said, I'm excited about it. I'm, 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 ex I'm looking forward to this, uh, this revolution of, and have been on board with it for the last, well, my entire term as a commissioner. So it's, uh, it's something that I'm, it's really been fun, fun to be a part of. Absolutely. Well, you talked earlier about bias, focusing in on algorithmic AI bias. Can you tell us a bit more about that? It's potential impact on the industry and how insurers can build trust in AI. Sure. Well, building trust is going to be a difficult part, right? It's, it's not only trust within the, within the industry, but it's also going to be trust within the consumer, uh, you know, the, the, the greater society. And I think we're at a point now where we've had some significant, I don't want to say breaches of trust, but we've got a pretty skeptical society right now that, that has, that has really, um, you know, we've gone through the, the, the pandemic, we've gone through a number of different things where we seem like we are, we're, we're distrusting of, a lot of experts or a lot of leaderships or a lot of, lot of areas. And so that that's going to create a unique challenge for the industry as we go forward into deploying new tools. Um, but when you look at, at bias in AI, I mean, again, AI learns from historical data. It takes significant vast amounts of data and is able to process that quickly to, to glean trends, to make, uh, you know, make analysis and, and understanding. But within that historical data, there is probably going to be, there is societal bias and historical prejudices that probably exist that, that do exist. And so it's a matter of how do we train that AI? How do we train or how do we take this data and, and, and again, try to weed some of those, those issues out, some of those human, human issues, human biases out of that. And, and that, is, that is a challenge and that's going to continue to be a challenge. But again, as we, I think the goal is, is, is as you continually modernize these systems, you continue to run data sets through them the goal ultimately is that they get better and better and better and better and they continue to learn over time. And so we're certainly not there yet, but I, I think, again, the goal is that over time we'll be able to re remove that historical and societal bias that we've seen in our, in our country and in, in our world to get to that true risk piece again. Um, and so that, that is going to take time and that's going to take really brilliant data scientists to figure that out. And, and, and uh, it's going to take some significant work. Again, I'm, 
I'm an insurance regulator. I, I pretend to be a technology technology guy on, on the side, I think, but it's uh, there, there's a lot of work that's going to have to be done on that. And, and that work is ongoing. And I, and again, I think some of the issue of trust would be deploying these tools too soon without having that work completed or having a full understanding of that work will lead to bad outcomes. And again, you may have a million great outcomes. And if you have five bad ones, those are going to hit the, me the news media, those are hit the stories. And it's going to be the Apple card. It's going to be the Amazon hiring practices. It's going to be all those pieces that are then going to give, uh, get, you know, continue that kind of further that distrust of technology that, that may be existing in the underlying, some underlying pieces in society. Um, again, when you look at the impact on the industry, I think there's some significant reputational impacts potentially on these pieces. Again, if this, if these things go wrong, if the, if the, if the, the determinants are, are biased or they become, you know, they're, they're looked at by, by society and the consumers as to be a negative outcome, that's going to be a negative impact on that insurer. Uh, it's going to be, it's not going to be, you know, North Dakota insurance commissioner approves XYZ company who uses this, this piece to do it. It's going to be XYZ company is shown to be using an, a, a biased algorithm. And so there, there's some significant reputational risk there for the industry to make sure again, to know that they're doing, they're deploying these tools in a proper manner, in a safe manner, in a, in a respectful manner. Um, and that again, comes back to working on that bias question first. Um, and, and so again, I think the more that we can also, when you want to build this trust, it's going to come down to the explainability of these tools. And I'll go back to the NAIC uh, AI principles that we passed to, well, God, it's probably been four years ago now. Uh, the pandemic kind of pauses time for me a little bit, so it's, it's uh, but it's been a while. Um, but we've had those principles on uh, passed by the, by the membership. And again, a lot of that talks about being accountable, being uh, transparent, um, and, and being able to be uh, explainability to the consumer, right? And being able to say, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's how we're using it. Here's the data source that's coming in. And yes, we've got a complex calculation that's going behind it, but we know the inputs and we know the outputs. And so what happens necessarily in that black box, we're probably, we're not going to be able to understand every algorithm that existed in the, in the history of time, but we're going to, again, focus on the inputs, focus on the outputs and be able to figure that out. And, and the more we can explain that and have that that uh, transparency to our consumers. I think that again, instantly helps build some trust again. And then when you look at the data sets that you're testing or you're running again, making sure that those are a diverse data set too. So you're not getting instantly biased outcomes based on, you know, we, we ran a population of 500,000 people, but we didn't include a, 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 a an ethnic group or we didn't include a, a different, a different uh, minority population within that. Those type of issues are going to lead to instant criticism and probably instant distrust of that algorithm. And it's also going to come down to there's going to be a significant um, res responsibility on the industry to continually monitor these things. And so these tools, again, part of the one of the great benefits is they continue to evolve and learn over time. But that's also probably a significant responsibility on that on the industry to know that once you deploy the tool, you can't just say, well, we deployed the tool, we're good to go. We're going to use it now. This is a constant monitoring piece that you're going to have to continually checking those outcomes and monitoring for accuracy for, uh, you know, the expected outcomes. Um, and so it's going to be that accountability piece that's going to be really important. And again, all those pieces go back into developing that trust within not only the industry, but within the consumers is if you can show you've got a diverse, you've had diverse testing, you've got, it's transparent, you can explain it. 
you're able to do show the regular monitoring of it. You're able to show that, hey, we're, we're constantly checking our compliance. We're in compliance with the laws, uh, the ethical guidelines that are being being established out there. And again, it's I, I think there's also there's always going to be responsibility for some human oversight of these pieces. Right. Right now, we're at the point where you can flag things and say, hey, you should go check out this, check out this population, check out this subset of your data, make sure that it's accurate or make sure that, that we're seeing a trend here that maybe you want to look at. That is, to me, that's going to constantly exist where there's always going to be some human oversight where there, there, there will be some monitoring of this by a human to say, okay, this is operating how we expected it to. And, and, and nothing is, nothing is kind of outside the norm there. And you do those things, I think that'll go a long way into, um, again, maintaining and building that trust not only with the regulated body, with the consumers, but also within the industry. And so it, it's it's going to be an uphill battle. I mean, like, like I said, we are, we're in a time in our society where trust in some of these institutions or trust in some of these technologies is, is, is being challenged. And I think you're seeing that response in Congress, you're seeing that response in the regulator body. Um, but I, I think we'll do our, we'll all do ourselves a big favor to, again, the more we can be transparent, the more we can show the work that we've done and explain that to our consumers. Again, there, 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 there should be a, uh, a building of trust there for that. Absolutely. There are some concerns that AI will replace human workers and augment, replace, or eliminate jobs. Do you believe that's the case in insurance? And if so, what jobs may be at risk? I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, to be honest, I, I think, you know, we are at a. Our world is in the middle of a of the great, the great uh, retirement crisis, or, or the, the whatever you want to call it. And so, we've got a number of populations that are retiring and getting that age where they're leaving the workforce and the number of people behind it aren't going to be able to fill all those spots. And so I, I think really what AI is going to do is going to be able to maintain and hopefully improve the efficiency without having to have the same number of bodies within those spots, because I just don't think they're going to exist. And so some of the jobs that may replace, again, it may replace some of those, um, those, human processing roles where I'm a data processor, I'm a data, I, I, I do data input. Uh, some of those things are probably going to replace. But again, I think that allows us to use our human creativity and our brains in probably a different way, which is which leads to hopefully more meaningful work and hopefully more meaningful, um, you know, interaction with your job, which, you know, we, we sit around here in the North Dakota Insurance Department, we've got 41 people. And I'd love to have, I'd love to probably have 55. I'd love to have, you know, double that. But that's not, that's not my budget. That's not the way it's going to be. And so we've challenged our folks to, again, look at how are there are ways that we can improve efficiencies to take the mundane processes of your job, automate them, get rid of them, remove them, change them. And again, allow you to continue to focus on the creative aspects where you're solving problems, you're bringing things forward, you're able to utilize that brain and engage in that and, and be the expert that you are and, and save the, the, the input of you know, checks or save the data input for something else or somebody else. Uh, and so I'm hopeful I, that's where I think it's going to end up being. I also think you're going to see a significant change in that agent community too. We've got, we've, we've got a number of agents who are retiring. And, and so the sales channels for these is going to be very different. And so, um, companies may have to look at how do we, how do we develop a sales channel that, that has less workforce than we've ever had. And, and, you know, that hopefully again, the fewer the workforce, the labor costs is generally one of your highest, highest costs. And so that should hopefully, hopefully again, in the long run, help put some downward pressure on these rates and hopefully help help these keep these things affordable for our consumers. But I, I'm not a, I guess I'm not a, a believer that 
AI is going to come in and we're going to have mass layoffs in, in the insurance industry for sure. Um, I also just don't think that we, I think we're in a hiring um, bonanza in the insurance industry, really. I mean, I think we'd love to hire more people as much as we possibly can from agents to company representatives to all the way up. I don't, I don't think you can talk to anybody and say, boy, I, it's, it's super easy for me to find workers and uh, I, I've got no problem finding employees. And, and, you know, so I, I think this should hopefully lead to more efficiencies within the industry, which again, leads to that continuation of the industry versus uh, detraction or, or reduction. And I think without this technology tool, um, you know, those sales channels may become more challenging. And so then you may have more, less offerings. And so I think the technology is going to keep the industry going forward at an either enhanced level or the same level, which is critically important as we all know that, you know, these, these financial tools are critical to our financial well-being. As AI technology continues to emerge and become more integrated in the industry, where do regulators fit into the equation? Well, I, I think we, we probably play a pretty critical role. Um, yes. uh, you know, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a story. To me, this has been a spectrum, right? Where we've been on a spectrum of understanding of technology. And uh, the first general response from a regulator is when they learn about AI, or they learn about, you know, you go back to even autonomous vehicles or, or anything, any new technology, like, okay, we've got we've to write a model law for it. We've got to write a model reg. We've got to upend the industry and we've got to figure this out and we've got to get down. And I want to know every calculation that exists within this, this algorithm. And then they start continuing down this road of learning about this and it gets, okay, this is becoming more and more challenging because every algorithm is different. Every company uses something a little bit different. And so the ability for me to understand that at that granular level is, is not possible. I also can't afford to probably hire the, the team of data scientists it would take to be able to do that. And so, so I think you're seeing that initial response of we're going to regulate this space very aggressively and we are going to set the rules of the road and, and we're going to get this done in a very short timeline moving to we got to look at a regulatory framework. Uh, we got to look at maybe a principles-based, governance-based discussion on this. And again, going back to recognizing what I said earlier is that we have an existing regulatory framework that's in place. Um, we have the Unfair Trade Practices Act. We, had, we have 150 years of, of state-based insurance regulation behind us to look at and to glean from and, and to learn from. And again, this is ultimately what this comes down, this is another tool in the toolbox for insurance industry to use. And we'll have to tweak some things, sure. We'll have to maybe modify some things, and but that we're always in evolution. But the need for a wholesale change or a wholesale change to the regulatory framework, I just don't think is there because we have that existing framework. So it's it's going to be you know addressing some of the things on the edges. So the data privacy, which you know is an important piece, it's not addressing artificial intelligence directly, but it's addressing the data that's going into it. And so that's you know we're gonna we're gonna be looking at that as regulators. We're also gonna be looking at how do you mitigate that bias? How do you how do you ensure fairness in these processes? And that's that's a governance question. That's more of a that kind of over the overarching, over everything. I think it, it can fit into our regulatory framework. You know, how do we continue to make sure that consumers are protected from this? And how do we make sure that that they're, that they're getting fair outcomes? Um, and then it coming coming down to the monitoring that I talked about, and then just ensuring that we are we are operating in a collaborative space. I think that's going to be really really critical within. The industry and the regulators there's always going to be a push and pull between the regulated industry and the regulators and that's that's a natural tension which should be there but again we've got to we've got to build a scenario build a situation or, or a space where the industry can come forward and say hey we've used this tool uh we got some really bad outcomes 
Um, we mitigated it. We, we, you know, we, we, redressed, we redressed the issues and we've got made our consumers whole, but we had some issues and to where they're able to, the industry is able to come forward and have those discussions with us without the fear of a heavy regulatory hammer coming down on them because we need to know that as regulators, we need to be able to have some visibility to what the issues are and how they're being solved. Uh, and, and if we don't have a space where that, that industry can trust us to have that conversation, operating in silence or operating in, in, a, in, you know, in the dark is, is generally more dangerous. So that's going to be a unique pace space for us to be because generally we haven't, we haven't had that. I mean, it, it, we've had some of that, but not probably the level we need it to be. So I, I think that's where we're going to play uh, some really important roles and is, is having that collaborative nature between the industry and the regulators to best understand this technology as quickly as we can, because it's coming, whether we like it or not. And so that's going to be a little bit of a tweak. And then again, focusing on how do we, how do we ensure proper governance? How do we monitor this? How do we ensure compliance with what you say you're with, what the industry says it's going to be doing. And, and again, it's, it's how do we mitigate the bias? How do we address those data privacy concerns? So there's a lot of spots for the regulators to play and it doesn't necessarily mean we are going to be sitting in, um, sitting in the algorithms with the companies. It's, it's going to be on the outside. It's kind of looking at how do we, how do we ensure that this is being handled properly? I understand the NAIC's Innovation, Cybersecurity, and Technology Committee is drafting a principles-based model bulletin on AI and machine learning governance. Can you tell us a little bit more about the draft model and what it will mean for the industry? Sure. I, I, well, and again, I think it's it's kind of the next step of artificial intelligence principles. So it's, it's kind of building off of what we've already got. And again, it's going to focus heavily on the governance structure within within the companies and, and making sure that what governances do you what governance procedures do you have in place to ensure that there's monitoring to ensure that there's been a, you know, a, a, a bias detection or, or, or some kind of oversight to ensure that this is a fair algorithm. And so it's really going to be how do we as regulators, what are we going to be looking for when we go in and do an exam or look at look at how you're using these tools. I don't think they're going to be overly prescriptive. Um, we're st these these are still in process, and so we're still working through it. But I, I think we've gone from the prescriptive the prescriptive uh, methodology of trying to again get into that each algorithm, versus again giving some of the high level principles, which you can see they exist within our AI principles. So this is going to be the next step on to okay with these AI principles, how do you ensure compliance with these AI principles at a governance level? How are you making sure that you know the C-suite understands what's being used and what's being deployed. Are the expect are the outcomes what you expected? If not, what are you doing about it? And how do you notify either the regulator, the consumer, or whatnot? If you how are you using these to ensure that again we're able to fix these problems uh, before they get too broad? So I think that's where you're going to see this model bulletin and model kind of governance document move forward. It's been an interesting an interesting process. Um, we have had, uh, again, you, we've gone, I've seen a number of states go from, we need a model law to now we need a model bulletin to me, we need some governance, governance oversight, which is, I think is a really positive step for this process. And it gives, it should give the industry some comfort that we're operating in a space that, that is still evolving. It's still, it's changing moment by moment. And, and we've got to have a regulatory framework that it recognizes that. And so looking at a principles base kind of here are the fence posts that you can operate within here's the kind of the playground that we want you to operate within but we're not going to be prescriptive on how you do it and what what this looks like but we're going to have some expectations that there is some monitoring there's some there's compliance and there's a there's an inherent fairness there to how you're operating 
Are there other new state or federal regulations or those on the horizon that focus on the industry's use or governance of AI or machine learning? I would say, I mean, I think the the, the Data Privacy Model Act is, is something that we've opened up. Um, so the NAC has two model acts that have never really been widely adopted. So we're looking at opening up that and to combine into one. That process is going on. It's hopefully going to be completed by optimistically the end of the year. Maybe it maybe it dips into next year. Um, you know, we're never we're not really known at the NAIC for moving at lightning speed, which I think is 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 a good thing. Um, and we're 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 pretty um, deliberative and judicious body. Um, so that's another piece. And then you've got, you got the congressional action that's happening. There's a number of bills that are in the in the uh, markup versions uh, at the congressional level um, that that do a touch on data privacy. Um, and you're also seeing a significant other, you know, our international colleagues are, are operating in the space. They're looking at how do they handle artificial intelligence. You know, you're looking at the banking sector, other financial sectors are also looking at how do you handle these things. So those are all things that we've got to be aware of as an industry because it could very easily tip into the insurance space. And so the work that the H committee is doing under the leadership of Kathleen Borain is has been fantastic. Um, you know, she's really moved this this process along. And I think, you know, probably... I don't want to say it's criticism, but there's been some pushback from the industry of, boy, this is moving really fast. Boy, you know, you're, you're going to do a model bulletin by the end of the year, you're going to open up a model law and try to complete that by the end of the year. This seems really aggressive. And again, I just put into context of our international colleagues are moving on this, the congressional delegations moving on this. So the more, the, the sooner that we can get our stake in the sand of saying, here's where the insurance industry is, here's where the state-based, United States insurance-based industry is, that informs those discussions when we go to Congress, when we go to, uh, when we go talk to our international colleagues to have those discussions. So yes, it's moving quickly. Uh, and, you know, again, it's it probably not as quick for some or too quick for some, but not quick enough for others. But again, putting into the full context of where we're at within the, the broader global industry or the broader glo global economy, um, you know, we need to move this forward. We need to have this discussion. And that's where the industry needs to come in and, and give that feedback in a timely manner and be able to be at the table. And I think we've done a, a fairly good job of opening up those opportunities for comments and, 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 and interaction. And we'll continue that through the end of the year. But it's not just us. It's not just the, the, the insurance regulators saying, boy, we want to lead on this. We want to be out in front of this. It's what we see down the, down the pike and what we see from other regulated industries or other regulated communities, um, what they're working on and, and trying to avoid anything kind of spilling over either into the United States or into a different industry from a different industry into the insurance industry that doesn't necessarily fit. So commissioner, do you believe AI will transform the insurance industry and how will it reshape distribution claims, underwriting and pricing and revolutionize how insurance products are experienced going forward? Well, I, I don't have the crystal ball yes. <laughs> right now, but um, I, I, I sure would love to. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, I can, I can, one thing I'm sure of, is that the insurance industry we have today is going to be vastly different five, 10, 12 years from now. It's, it's going to look very different. And what that looks like, I, I've, I've got my own thoughts. It's probably gonna be more, um, you know, I think we're gonna be a little bit more narrow focused on some being able to tailor some risks a little narrower to individuals. And, and again, hopefully have some consumers who are engaged in understanding where their risks uh, their risk gaps are, which hopefully can lead to mitigation for issues. I also think you're gonna, you're gonna see a movement and I think you're just continuing to see that movement in the industry focusing on mitigation. How do we prevent, how do we prevent the risk versus pay for the risk? And I love that. I absolutely, I think that's a fantastic shift because again, if I can prevent the loss, that's great for the consumer. It's great for the industry. It's great for everybody. And so, you know, we, we, we in North Dakota have adopted the, the, um, 
the anti-rebating updates that have that have happened again to really address some of those mitigation pieces. And I think that's a that's an evolution that's happening uh, within the insurance industry. But I, I think you're going to see the supply channel. I think is going to be very different. And and I don't know what that looks like. And I and and there's depending on the day you talk to me, it could be scary and it could be really exciting. Um, you know, it just depends on what what how I woke up and what side of the bed I woke up on. Making sure that we know how to get to the consumers where they're at is going to be really really important. And and that may be you know, on my phone, that may be on through some web web based services or, or getting that different data sets into their hands so they can make some of those determinations. I do think at the end of the day, we have a very informed consumer population when they get the information, right? And so if I, if I have the information at my, at my fingertips, I'm able to make some informed decisions. Now, getting that data in their hands to make sure that, about myself so I can look at what my what it is and kind of put it together is is a challenge but that'll be i think that'll continue to be solved and we'll probably have consumers who know more about either their financial history or their financial well-being or what their projections are than they've ever had which again leads to a more informed consumer population which leads to hopefully better products um, and at the same time i think we're going to hopefully be able to devise supply channels to get to potentially historically underserved areas and and be able to offer those same products that are critical to financial well-being to everybody and, and be able to hopefully tailor some products for that. So to me, the, the, the outlook on this industry is, is very, very bright. It's, it, you know, I think there's, there's always going to be an un underlying need for insurance. Um, I like to say insurance is the, is we allow the risk takers to take risks. And so we're that kind of backstop on, on those financial, uh, your financial well-being. And that's always going to exist. I think that's going to continue to be more and more critical as, as, our world evolves, our, our country evolves, and we continue to develop. So I'm positive. I'm very bullish on, on where we're going in the insurance industry, um, how it all looks, TBD. But I, I think it's I'll, what I can say is it's going to be vastly different than what is today. And in a lot of ways, I think that's going to be a really good thing. And it's going to, it's going to again, the, you know, I, I, the only thing I can look back on is the banking industry in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. They went through a pretty similar revolution to where they went from, again, <clears throat> going back to my parents, having that, that teller line where you go in and you cash your check and, and you're able to get that. That's the only way you get it to ATM machines. You've got your online banking. You've got app banking. I don't have to go into the bank if I ever don't want to. I can, I can bank in a bank that's completely, that's not even in North Dakota. It's not even my state and, and do whatever I want to do. So you've seen that evolution happen in other financial industries. I think you'll see similar things happen in the insurance industry, which again, I think will lead to hopefully a more engaged consumer population uh, better products, and uh, again, hopefully a more efficient and more efficient industry too. But today, you caught me on a pretty uh, Pollyannish, optimistic view of the, of the world. But um, but I think that's that's what I'd like to see. That's what I hope for anyway. Well, Commissioner, this has been so informative, so interesting. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely, I, I you, you said you can get me talking about artificial intelligence, insurance, and. Uh, that's right in my wheelhouse. So thanks for having me. Well, thank you. That was North Dakota Insurance Commissioner John Godfrey. For AMS TV, I'm Lori Chortis. Looking to get the full attention of the insurance industry? We have the platforms that will do just that. Whether it be AM Best TV, AM Best Audio, Best Review Magazine, or Best Day. Find out more by calling AM Best Advertising Sales at 908-439-2200, extension 5399, and have a great day.